Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series, loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. 
Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Chilly scenes of winter is over. If you think I'm that great, there must be something wrong with you. It's about deviation. Hi, Mom. And desperation. Don't worry. I'm not going to beg her. Janet. How can I get it if she won't come out of her apron? And most of all, Good night, Ox. the outrageous complications night, Laura. of Charles' never-ending infatuation. Good night, Sam. John Hurd and Mary Beth Hurt in Chilly Scenes of Winter. All right, Andy. It's another Joan Micklin silver movie that we have here. It is. Yes. Not part of our series, for sure. Uh, but I I want to be. It's an unintentional series. She's here because uh, this is part of our John Hurd series, and this is the second of two films that she worked on with John Hurd. The question is, do you like this more as a John Hurd movie or as a Joan Micklin silver movie? Mm, time will tell. Time will tell. How did we end up uh, with this one in particular? Was this one that you were a big fan of? I had never seen it. Uh, I hadn't either. I had heard of this, and I had heard a lot of praise for this film. And it was one, it was one of those films that, you know, when I first started hearing about it, you hear about how it kind of like got shafted by the studio when they released it initially, and then it got released a few years later, and it was like, oh, wow, it actually is a good movie, sort of releases. And so I found that interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I'd heard enough talk about kind of the work that Joan Micklin Silver had been doing that I don't know, piqued my curiosity for sure. And um, so, yeah, I, I think. Plus, I mean, John Hurd is an interesting actor anyway. And, you know, I, I, I think that there's something with him. I mean, we've got some interesting films on in this series that are where he's the lead, but then also a number of them where he is a supporting character. And so it's just an opportunity to kind of look at a broad spectrum of the types of projects that he had been getting involved in through his career. All right. What do you think I thought of this movie? I think you thought it was okay. Really? You think I thought it was okay? All right. What did you think of it? Let's see. I think you thought it was, I kind of think you thought it was Okay, too, but I'm having trouble reading you today a little bit. So I think my my Andar um, might be off. Yeah. And so I think you probably liked it more than I think you liked it. I'm going to give you uh, ooh, three and a half pushing four stars. That's where I think you're going to land. Okay. <laughs> you see what I mean? Like there's there's nothing. There's no juice behind that. Okay. Nothing. Yeah. Incredible. Well, this movie was rated PG when it was released. Um, so, you know, it's, I think it's fairly, uh, a fairly mild, safe film. <laughs> okay. Want to watch this movie and help us out? Well, if you see an Apple or Amazon link to this in the show notes, just click on it. And this holds true for any of our movies. Probably not this one. But you can click on it. It will take you right to their site. You can rent or buy the movie. When you do this, we get a little piece in return. We are upping our game in our merch store. I've been working on the Welcome to Smutty Nose uh, shirt. And uh, what was it? Uh, everyone's favorite stop on the way to New Hampshire. Is that what you coined? That's what it is. All right. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about it, but I haven't quite found the right 
typeface. When I do for Smutty Nose, there will be a shirt there and a mug and everything. And I think that will be the one that's going to take us into the big league merch, merch-wise. Welcome to Smutty Nose, because I think there is an untapped market. You can find that at truestory.fm slash TNR merch if you want to be first to get your Smutty Nose shirt, sticker, mug, mask, pillow, anything else that we're coming up with. Get it while you can. We uh, would love to feature your audio reviews. Just send a 30-second audio file, 30-second-ish, you know. If, if it's longer, I think that will probably be fine. Uh, to reviews at truestory.fm, as soon as you watch the film, we just might showcase your voice on the show. Got to get them in quick. We do record early. So the sooner you get your clip in, the more likely it will end up on the podcast. Again, send it to reviews at truestory.fm. There is a direct relationship between length of review and quality of review, wouldn't you say? Like, the longer it is, the better it better be. Oh, sure. I, I would just love to get reviews. I, I don't care. Send a five-minute review. <laughs> Send a five-minute review. We'll cut it. We'll edit it. We'll make you sound like a hero. If you're wondering where you can see what the movies we're talking about in the coming weeks and for the rest of the season, you can find our entire series rundown on our Letterboxd HQ page. While you're there, sign up for a pro or patron membership with the discount code NEXTREEL or just visit thenextreel.com slash Letterboxd and you'll get 20% off. This also works for renewals. We would love it if you would consider becoming a member of the show. Uh, We use Patreon's platform called Memberful, where it's built right into our website. You can subscribe at a month-to-month plan or at the annual rate, and you will get all sorts of wonderful goodies. Members get early access to every episode. They also get access to the live stream. You would be actually hanging out with us, listening to the show as we record it. Uh, And also so many bonuses. We have so many bonuses. We're doing the retake episode at the end of each series. We're doing the flick chart, uh, flick fights um, each month. So we update our our flick chart with uh, gamesmanship and cheating. Um, And uh, it's just really a, a great thing that we're doing just for members. So become a member. And, um, and, and, you know, hang out with us while we record this thing. Go to truestory.fm slash TNR membership. You can learn more about the different tiers. The most it'll cost is $5 per month or $55 per year. So this movie, Chilly Scenes of Winter. Chilly Scenes of Winter. When I first watched it the other day, I didn't, I didn't care for it. Okay, so I wasn't too far off. No, no, no. But I haven't been able to quite stop thinking about it. And I've been talking about it a lot and reading about it. And I think I'm glad that it, I didn't just watch it last night because I would have been a real sourpuss this morning. Yeah. Uh, but I think this is one of those movies that I had to kind of let unpeel in my brain uh, before I watched it. I... I I found it funny, and I was really hanging my hat on the whole idea of John Hurd's character as a kind of a fringe sociopath. <laughs> but I don't know if I don't know if I'm right about that. And I have some lines that that we can talk about uh, shortly that I think build build my case that his character is not well. But I just want to know, what is your take on what this movie is about? Well, on what it's about? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a love story is what it is, right? Uh-huh. It's, it's, you know, it's a meet-cute 
uh, rom-com in a way, but there's a lot more going on to it. And uh, to that end, it's it's very interesting with characters that I ha- I don't feel like I've seen too often, and I enjoyed the way that they came across on screen. And and there's definitely this line that John Hurd's character walks as far as uh, kind of his obsession after after he meets um, uh, Laura there's this um, kind of insatiable need that he has to kind of have her in his life. And and I think in some love stories, that would play in a totally different way because, you know, they would come together and the romance would, you know, they would both feel the same and everything would be perfect. And what's interesting about this film is, is he's kind of a, almost like a, uh, almost a, like a, a rom-com character but in like a real life scenario. And I found it really interesting because he meets Laura at a low point in her life when she she's separated from her husband. She needs somebody and they connect and click and, and kind of fall for each other. But, you know, she's only separated and going through her own emotional roller coaster of trying to figure out her life and goes back to her husband. And the way that that shifted the story, I found to be, uh, surprising and really interesting and and uh so yeah it's it's a really i don't know i guess i i the more i think about it it's just a much more interesting um unique type of love story that i uh i found really fascinating i do too and I, and i think it's because for to to my eye these characters one of them she knows who she is. She has a strong sense of identity, but has no idea where she's going uh, in in her, you know, relationship life. And he um, has a looser sense of identity, uh, but knows exactly where he's going, where he wants to go with her and feels like he's trying to fill a hole in his life with her. Um, And there is this sense of this one sided romance where the the male wants more out of or one partner wants more out of the relationship than the other is has available to give. And I asked my wife, I said, have you ever been in one of these relationships where, you know, somebody you were, you, you know, you were dating wanted more out of the relationship than you? And um, she said, oh, yeah. And I said, so who was that? And she took a beat and she said, yeah, I don't remember his name, which I thought was telling. The, the, that's really kind of the point that I think, you know, one of the things that, that makes romances work is that both parties are equally obsessed with each other and, uh, to a little bit. And, and I think this movie showcases what happens when one partner is more obsessed than the other. And it's not to the like vaudevillian extreme, right? It's just, it's sort of a very human grounded tale of what it's like to experience complicated, unrequited love. And I, I, I really, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the the complexity of these characters, even though I thought the story or the the movie itself was presented in a in a, a pretty uh, straightforward way. I think the characters kind of make it shine, particularly John Hurt and and Mary Beth Hurt. And why do you feel it was presented in a straightforward way? Like, what's well, it's quiet. It, it's quite like the emotional. The emotional uh, sort of roller coaster is is kind of a, a line, right? I, I don't feel like there there are many sequences in here where it, it gives me intense 
feelings one way or the other. I There are a couple that give me in, intense feelings. And, and I'll say, you know, one example is the experience at the A-frame when um, Heard and his friend go, you know, ostensibly to tour the A-frame, but really they're they're there to meet the husband that she went back to and uh, end up at the house together, sitting around a table um, with all four of them. That made me incredibly uncomfortable. And then he outs that he's in love with, I'm in love with your wife, he says. And that ends in a kind of a, a, a middling intense boil over and they end up leaving and laughing about it. Like it didn't, it it didn't take take the the experience to an emotional extreme that I expected, so I, I think the whole movie I would describe like that. Like I, it's just it's it's a pretty flat, flat experience. Hmm. Is that okay. not how it hit okay. you? Well, no, I, I I I the way that you said that it made me feel like you felt the film was just fairly straightforward, and I don't think the way that uh, that Joan McLean Silver wrote or or constructed the film is straightforward and because there's a lot of interesting uses of flashbacks and uh kind of like dream-ish sequences you know things like that 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 come fairly quickly and paced really well where all of a sudden you're just kind of moving through time effortlessly and and the way that she did that, I found um, just very smart and crafted in a way that it was just uh, incredibly effective in the course of the storytelling. So I just didn't want to. Um, I wanted. To, that's why I wanted to clarify, like what the aspect was, because I don't think that Joan Micklin Silver was making just kind of a straightforward from front to back love story, or kind of you know romantic drama. I guess we'll call it. Yeah. Um, I, I think there was more complexity to it. I absolutely agree with you. And, and I do want to say that I, I think those are two separate things. And the way the thing was constructed, not just with the 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 flashbacks, but even that sort of early in the film, you know, it starts with a we, we start in a where she's in the backseat of the car. And as we move forward, we are introduced to some of the mechanics of the film where with John Hurd, like, you know, breaking the fourth wall, like looking straight at me and talking to me about his history with with her. Uh, and I thought that was really effective. And it was just, I, you know, some some movies introduce elements like that and it's work to keep up. It's work to figure out where are we in time? Like, where are we in space? Why is he talking to me? I never felt like that. This movie did not feel like work to watch. Do you know what I mean? Like, I never found myself confused to the point where I was angry at the film. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and like, uh, and, and I think it's just done in such a, a smart way. Like, I mean, you the, the scene in the car, which was perfect. Like, you know, he gets into his car, which <laughs> I love that. I mean, this whole movie was filmed in Salt Lake City in the winter. And like he can't even get his door open because it's frozen shut. So he's like banging it, kicking it. He finally is in the car. Like that just made me laugh because it's like, and it was like snow everywhere and raining. I'm like, what kind of yeah. hellscape is this? This is a nightmare. Like I can't, I don't want to imagine that it's snow and rain everywhere. Like, ugh, what a, what an awful yeah. situation. But then he gets into his car and he sees her through his rear view that she's in the back seat. They start this conversation. She gets up into the front seat. 
talking about his glasses and that he still hasn't fixed them and she's going to clean him and all this. It's very cute. But then you cut, like as they're having this conversation, you're, you're doing a shot reverse shot and, and you're on her side of the car looking at him. And then it cuts to his side of the car looking at her and you see an empty seat. And it's like, oh, of course, he's just fantasizing this whole thing. And he's holding his glasses, and now he's like, well, I guess I got to clean them. And it's like the way that that was structured, it's like, okay, this is the movie I'm going to be in. And it really sets it up right away to give you a sense of that we're in his head. We are not just following Charles, but we are like really going to be with Charles in his head, kind of living this experience. And like the other one that just totally struck me was like his mom calls, ready to kill herself. And he's listening to her, but then he drifts off and we start doing flashbacks in the middle of what seems like a fairly important conversation. But he's like mentally checking out and going back to when did I meet Laura in these different moments. And it's just uh, and then he we come back and he's like, you know, I'm still here, mom. I'm just like, oh, my God, that's just it was just so perfectly done, you know, because it's like in a moment. And I feel like this is a character who is really thinking about these other things when this other thing is happening. Yeah, completely, uh, completely. And it, it makes it so you can't like you, she sets you up so effectively in the beginning that you, you know, you can't trust like he is an unreliable narrator in this, in this story. And that when he says some of the more serious things, not just drifting, drifting off, um, you know, on the phone, but later, you know, uh, those weird conversations that he has with with Laura, I'm going to rape you. Uh, I'm going over to Dr. Davis's house tomorrow and I'm going to beat the S out of him. And then I'm going to come back here and I'm going to beat the S out of you. Uh, I was only kidding. I'm not really going to beat you up. Um, like go, goes to the A-frame for this tour with Laura's husband. And as they're walking through the house, he turns the stove on and then just keeps walking. And I, I was I kept waiting for some of these uh, elements to be uh, to be punchlined. Like I was there were their setups and I was waiting for whatever comes next. And, you know, the A-frame never burns down the uh, like the, I, those were all things that I that put a, a sense just a, a a thorn in the back of my mind as I'm watching the movie and realized that, you know, you can't trust anything that he says or does really because he might just we might just be following along in his head and and i thought that made for a a unique experience yeah it really did it's funny that the moment with the stove like as soon as that happens and they just keep walking i'm like this is why they don't have anything connected in these model homes anymore (laughs) because (laughs) people who do things like this Uh, yeah right the the other another element that i really enjoyed with him is how they play him with the blind candy vendor at the it's kind of like the in the lobby of the the um, building in which he works and every time he's leaving he comes up to buy a candy bar but he's so lost in his own thoughts and or or like at the very beginning you know we hear this uh the blind guy say you know what do you have and then in his head he's just like i don't have laura it's like everything is a trigger for him to just be thinking about this girl and i i love the way that that ended up becoming kind of a recurring um uh, uh, scene, a little moment that we have over the course of the film to the point where, you know, he he always has, this guy always has to ask him twice what his candy is until the very end. And all of a sudden it's like he's kind of getting through it and everything. And it was it was a great little 
element to add to kind of show his progress as we get to the end of the story. Totally. I I, I thought so, too. I thought it was really uh, I, I think that's a really special little repetitive beat. Um, so, I, you know, it, it, let's talk a little bit about his mother uh, and the relationship with his family, because I, I think you, you brought up the phone call with his mom. But um, how much of his relationship with his mom in all of this light do you find you trust? Like the eccentric with dementia, um, you know, how much how much of what we of our time with them was real? Oh, I mean, I think it was all real. I, I mean, I, I don't think I, I think all of this stuff is like actually happening. Is that what you mean? Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think I think the story I think the story is is what's real. I I just feel like, you know, he's kind of moving through it and, and there there's a lot of this element with his family that um I think just kind of is another element in his life that we're just kind of like going along with. I guess in the book, my understanding is there was a lot more of his moving through his life with his family as well. His mom, his sister and her uh boyfriend both of them have this stepfather that neither of them are big fans of all the issues with mom and all the stuff with Laura. So there's like, uh, it sounds like when Joan McLean Silver um, adapted the novel that she really focused on the love story more and kind of brought that more to the forefront. Yeah. So, I, but that, so that, that begs the question then, uh, how do you feel all the stuff with his family, his mother, his sister, his roommate, informs the rest of the story. Yeah, you know, I think I think so because I I look at his relationship with his mother and I look particularly the way Gloria Graham kind of portrays her and it's it's hard not to see some of where where he is now is where she has been much of her life. You know, that relationship between their their sort of parallel kind of living in each other's minds and she is taking it to um, you know, to this this extreme where I I am given to think that she's you know dealing with you know dementia and really struggling with her own kind of experience in her skin, but for him it's this romantic sort of sideline to his to his life as a thirty year old who's kind of rudderless. Um, and I I liked that parallel. You know, when they're sitting when uh, Peter Reigert and and uh, Heard are sitting at dinner with her and he, she says, oh, I didn't after their big setup and the table is all set and they're waiting to eat. And he said, would you like me to get the, the food? And she says, oh, I didn't make any food. That's a that is like one of the the moments in the film that I find myself like laughing out loud. Like uh, that is a that's a straight up funny scene and also incredibly sad Yeah, um, that that that's how they end up, you know, um, experiencing their sort of charles's future yeah the the whole story was interesting and i and i was drawn to uh, i was drawn to it a lot and i i don't know the more i was kind of thinking about like okay that's an interesting story element everything going on with his mom we find out that their dad had died in a car accident i believe was it a car accident i can't remember now i feel like it was a car accident but maybe i'm wrong um when he was fairly young and it sounded like mom had kind of been a, a in and out of you know mental institutions and stuff since then yeah um, I, I i got a sense that it really was because of everything that happened with dad and, and pete's there the stepfather who seemed to have stepped in and is doing okay taking care of her for the most part but the kids never really clicked with him but there's an interesting i concept going on there of like 
mom, there's a similarity with her and Charles and how she, I don't know, the way that I guess I, I read it as I kind of try to process like how all this, you know, what's the context of this in, in the story of Charles and his love for Laura, that mom also had this uh, romantic, uh, I don't want to call it an obsession, but, you know, just like very passionate romance with her father or with, with her husband, his father. Mm-hmm. And when she, when he died, that kind of put her into this spiral. And here we are kind of watching Charles go through his own spiral as he tries to figure out um, how to how to how to maneuver past everything with Laura. And I think that, uh, you know, he is in the film, he is finally able to kind of get to a place, I suppose, where he's moving on, maybe, Um, you know, even though like he he might be a little lost, but the romance is no longer there and he's finally accepted it. Mm hmm. And maybe that's, you know, kind of seeing his mom go through what she has gone through over the course of the film is one of the elements that kind of helps him get there. Well, I think you're absolutely right. Right. And that's that's really one of the last major themes of the film, which is the idea of taking control. Right. And he has that speech at the end. He's like, like, I'm 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 not going to wait for you. So we need to do this if we're going to do it. And if not, I'm going to move on and finally realizes that that he can. And the fact that his conversation with the blind man is the meat that says, at least in the universe of the film, he's moved on because he's able to tell and talk about the candy that he wants in one take and, um, uh, you know, that he's he's finally there. We should probably talk about the the um, sort of convoluted uh, journey that this film took to become Chilly Scenes of Winter, because I, I think that final beat is pretty dramatically impacted by its original release as Head Over Heels. Do you, it, it, did you happen to <laughs> track down the original ending to the film? Uh, no. From what I have found, um, since it was released in theaters in 1979 with that ending and then re-edited, um, it has never been released in any form. So... Uh, even even like on the Blu-ray, they don't include it as a bonus. Like, here's the original ending. Like, I think that Joan Micklin Silver was so um, disinterested in having that ending and that she kind of felt uh, the studio wanted. There's a whole, I mean, this was a period where the studio was in the process of making um, Heaven's Gate and right. spending a lot, a lot, a lot of money on that movie. And so they were looking at all their other projects like this. And, you know, they looked at it like, this is not going to make us money the way it is. What can we do to change this, to turn it into something that will make us money? And so they made her kind of tack on this ending that, uh, you know, it, it was just an extra scene that happened after where we get the movie ending now of the two of them coming back together. Yeah. It was yeah. kind of the romantic ending that they thought people wanted. And um, they changed the title to Head Over Heels because it's a cheerier title. It's going to be something that people are more excited about. And it didn't do very well. It, it did worse for them than, you know, when it ended up getting its release finally. So, um, but yeah, I don't think Micklin Silver wanted that originally original ending to be seen. So probably for the best. Yeah, probably for the best. And so here we have the original, uh, you know, he's running in the the ending that we got. He's running, running faster and faster and faster. And then eventually he stops and it's over. Yeah. 
it's it's a thinker, I guess, of a running scene. Why is he running? Nobody knows why he's running. He's just he's just burning off steam, I guess, just burning it off. And then the the scene that comes after is the slow reveal that and a discussion, apparently a voiceover discussion of eggs being cooked and eggs shouldn't be separated ever. And they're together again. And that's the end. Um, I vastly prefer this ending, although it's my understanding that the book ended on a happier note than the film did, which I, I think is interesting to take the to take the adaptation and, you know, distill it negatively in in this film i mean did you feel rewarded at the end of this movie did you feel like it was um it was what you wanted oh yeah absolutely i i loved the ending i loved the the way that he it's almost like he can he's finally broken free like that's how i saw it like he he's running and okay it's not a it's not the happy romance ending but I couldn't help but feel like this is a happy ending. Like this is the happy yeah. ending that I wanted for this movie. He's finally gotten out of this spiral that he's in and has found a way to kind of move forward and progress with his life. And so it's funny that it, it's, it's so specifically called out as a downbeat ending when I'm like, this is like the best way this movie could have ended. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, I really loved it. I, I did, too, because it goes back to what I was saying earlier. When you have this character who knows where he's going but doesn't know who he is, the only reward is for him to discover who he is. And that discussion at the end of control, of him taking control, that it is a demonstration of him finding sort of the brass ring. And that's not a woman. That's not a relationship. It is that he now knows who he is and where he's going. And I I felt really, like, gratified uh, at that. Um, you know, at, at that reveal. Yeah. And, and you know, in the same light, him walking away from her, running, running away from her, is the same sort of gift to her, isn't it? That she ends up, you know, being in a position now where she gets to focus on where she's going, you know, in her new identity, too. That certainly is, was an interesting issue with her. And, and I did find it uh, to be a very interesting character, kind of this this own her own struggle that Mary Beth Hurt as Laura had of trying to find herself and figure out who am I? And she separates from Ox, uh, her husband, uh, otherwise known as Jim, but I prefer Ox. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Um, she she separates from him so that she can kind of help figure herself out only to then meet Charles. She falls for him. They fall for each other. But she is still in this very emotionally kind of broken and confused place. And, you know, sometimes when you're in a relationship, you really do need that space to figure things out. And when you just jump into another relationship, you're not giving yourself the space. And she doesn't give herself the space. And so she's very um, – she has a very hard time because now she – feels, you know, she has this connection with these two people and it's made it even more complicated for her. And so only by finally leaving Jim, separating herself from Charles, can she actually take that time to figure herself out. And so I, yeah, I found it to be a powerful story for her too, as she finally says, I have to invest in myself. I have to figure out who I am. I cannot just jump with you i i have to step away and uh, you know it was it was as much a transition and a journey for her as it was for him yeah i think so even even insofar as this is his i i, I think this is his movie i don't i, I yeah, mean yeah. i feel like this is you know this is he's 
He's the perspective we're following. Exactly. Yeah. I think she learns from him. Like she, she, you know, from all of the, the complications and everything that he's bringing into her life, I think she ends up learning uh, from kind of all this, this craziness that he's introducing. Question for you. What is the point of Kenneth McMillan's character in this movie? I think it's, I, I think that there's a relationship, an interesting view of a relationship with Pete and, uh, and Clara. Uh, Charles's mom that we have, you know, he's kind of this, this figure that, uh, interestingly, neither Charles nor his sister are that fond of. But Charles kind of has, she, he ends up bonding with him. And he sees, I, I think that he ends up kind of seeing some of himself in Pete. Clara had this romantic relationship and, and you know, with uh, Charles's father, Pete is this other guy. Charles is the other guy. Right. And there's this kind of this interesting kind of com- complex relationship about being in a place where you're in a relationship with one person constantly thinking about the other person. OK, I think I think Charles sees some of that in himself, like it, as, as we're kind of, you know, toward the end of the film, I think that he is recognizing some of himself as you know he's never going to be just the 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 way that he has introduced himself into laura's life as the other guy as this guy that is kind of competing for the affections of jim he's always going to be uh viewed as that other guy right even if she completely you know falls for him and ends up going with him there's that element of of that you know, that it came that way. Oh, okay, right. And so even though in in the parallel between Clara and Pete, the original husband is is gone, it it doesn't really matter. Pete is still fighting a ghost. Exactly. And and and, and okay. so Clara can't let go of that ghost. And that's why yeah, I yeah, think yeah. she is constantly having these suicidal thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And and that was because that's when we got to the end and we have Charles taking the wrapped turtle wrap turtle wax. You want me to wrap the turtle wax at the store? I thought that was really funny. Um <laughs> he takes the turtle wax and and delivers it as like a secret Santa gift uh on Pete's front door. And we had this little we we cut back to Charles and he gives a little, yeah, you know, hey, hey, we understand each other. And I I didn't get what you just said. I didn't get that 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 parallel. I didn't know how to feel about why we had that that exchange between the two of them. I I get it now. I, I felt unresolved initially. That's helpful. It's a, it's an interesting mirror. I, I found. Yeah. 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 No, that's good. Yeah. I also I found a really interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I thought that Betty was another interesting uh, element to throw into Charles's life as this other office worker. That he's just like, well, maybe I can stop thinking about Laura if I start thinking about Betty. But then he finds that he can't, and poor Betty, like the way that everything kind of falls with her, just like uh, just is so sad. Although I was thrilled that she gets together with Sam, like that made me happy. But like, uh, just like I saw Charles doing stuff and planning stuff with her and stuff. I'm like, this just isn't going to end well for poor Betty. Yeah, right. Oh, poor Betty. She she was so sweet and cute and perfect, too. Right. Like in in many respects, like she was ideal and she was right there, right in front of him. And and yet there was there was this mysterious thing, this mysterious thing. And, uh, you know, she's the vessel for in the story of what it looks like when you just you just can't love somebody 
for some mysterious reason. And there doesn't necessarily have to be a reason because Betty was otherwise awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, She is the, uh, I want to say the grandchild of Van Heflin. Oh. And once, once I knew that, I was like, oh my God, I can totally see it. Like it's just the same face. Absolutely the same face as Van Heflin. So. Well, she's super cute. And I, I think it's funny. Like she's she's got her own stuff. It, it Like her thinking about his planning, like his oh, planning the, so funny. The, for the party, you know, and, and constantly thinking about the kinds of hors d'oeuvres and dips. That dip conversation was priceless. <laughs> right. Like so what good. she brings to the table is uh, like this movie could have turned on a dime and been about her. Uh and it, you really could just swap the names uh, in the script and, and it could have been the same story, right? This could have been her story falling in unrequited love with Charles. Right, right, right. Uh, and it would have been the same thing, which I think is fantastic. I mean, that's great because, again, romance works only when the obsession is requited. Well, and that's, you know, in context of building a story, like a, a complex uh, film with... Uh, uh, you know, in in a type of genre like this, you want to uh, build where there's the main A story that you're following, which is Charles and Laura. But then all of these other B stories are kind of reflections of that story in some way or another. And that's I, I thought that the way that Joan McLean Silver constructed this was fantastic. You know, we have Sam, his roommate, brilliantly played by Peter Reigert who women just are no longer interested in. He's constantly frustrated with that and complaining about it, which is great. You've got, uh, obviously, Laura trying to figure out her relationship with her husband. You've got Clara and Pete. You've got uh, even Charles's younger sister, Susan, with her very odd uh, boyfriend, played by Griffin Dunn, which is uh, very funny. And also, one oh, we should say Griffin fantastic. Dunn and Mark Metcalf, who plays Ox, are two of the three producers of the film. And, uh, you know, it's, it was kind of fun to see them pop up in these roles. But, yeah, I, I loved the way that, like, there were so many different ways of viewing all these different relationships over the course of the film. Was, I thought it worked really well. Oh, oh, and then, like, also you have more parent-child uh, uh, relationships. Um, obviously, you've got Charles and his mom and trying to figure out the relationship with Pete. But then you have his boss, played by Jerry Harden, oh, who, who can't figure out how to communicate with his own son who's off at school. And, like, the conversations <laughs> that he was, like, pushing uh, to have with Charles about, like, what what should I have him do? Why don't you Why don't you have him play this, uh, this um, you know, this record or whatever? You know, it's just, I don't know. I, it was, was he, I mean, it was really, it, it was a conversation about having his son w- uh, help him with his sex life? Is that what we were talking about? It was so awkward. It was it was a strange little uh, thing, like just. But I think it was largely like how to communicate with uh, your child, you know, and and how yeah. to, especially in in relation to kind of like a story about love and romance and all of that sort of stuff. And so he's struggling with that. Charles is trying to figure it out with Clara, his mom, and Pete. Like, just I don't know. I I, I enjoyed like every relationship in this film. I was so uh, interested in, like, all of them. There was something interesting going on in every relationship. I, I loved them all. Yeah. Oh, the more I, the more I think about this movie, the more I love it. I know. I that's the that's the thing. I this is this is the slow burn of this movie, and it sort of feels like the slow burn in how the movie was accepted uh, when it was released and retitled and recut. And uh, it's I, I thought it was pretty great. Yeah. 
Yeah. Really interesting film. What else you got? Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the um, camera work in the film because, I mean, it is uh, kind of, it's a romance. It's not overly complex in the way that it's constructed. But there were some surprisingly, like, well thought out shots throughout the film that I really enjoyed the way that uh, that Micklin Silver kind of crafted it with Bobby Byrne, her cinematographer, uh, and, and you know there was a moment where um, where he comes back to the apartment, Charles and Laura uh, has just got a call, and uh, from and I can't remember now if it was if it was Ox who had called or I think it was. Ox's young girl, her stepdaughter, who had called, and she asks him to kind of, you know, give her a minute. And so he says, "Do you want me to shut the door?" And she, he does. And they, they, it's you know, one of these houses where it's got kind of that window from the kitchen to the dining room, and um, and so he shuts the door. But then the way that the shot moves, it's like all of a sudden you can kind of see him in the back window, just kind of like, uh, you know, in the next room, just kind of, you know trying to figure out what's going on is this something i should be worried about all that sort of stuff and then you kind of reverse and you kind of see him and it's 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 beautiful the way that uh micklin silver kind of built this barrier between them periodically in moments like that where you have this um you know uh, very art you know physical thing that is kind of separating them even if it is just a window but allowed for i don't know some some smart and surprising cinematography in a film that Otherwise, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have expected it. Yeah, it certainly didn't need smart cinematography to tell this smart story. Where, where do you, we've talked about this before. Where do you stand on Stealing Home? Do you remember Stealing Home? Mark Harmon, Jodie Foster? It's been so long, um, I can't recall it. I, I can't remember the movie very well. I was obsessed with this movie. I mean, ob. I think I had a crush on Jodie Foster at the time, but I saw this movie a bunch. Uh, The cinematography also uh, by Bobby Byrne. I think it's probably is I haven't watched it in many years. And I worry that I'm going to have the same experience with this that I'm likely to have with the big blue. Uh, And so I'm nervous about (laughs) watching it again. (laughs) Obsessed. But uh, thrilled to see that Bobby Byrne is also behind Bull Durham. We've talked about that before. Sixteen Candles, Smoking the Bandit, or uh, and Howard the Duck are are Byrne's top four. Um, big big fans of Howard the Duck around these parts. He says in heavy air quotes. Uh, so yes, Bobby Byrne also did the end for Burt Reynolds. That's right. Yeah, That's did, right. did That's a number right. of Burt Reynolds because he also worked on Hooper. So yeah. Definitely kind of a Burt Reynolds guy. Ken Lauber is behind the music. Yeah. Did you get anything out of the music? You're a big soundtrack guy. I, I just, I really enjoyed kind of the vibe of it. You know, it it fit the era. And I don't know, I just found it to um, to work well in context of uh, of what I wanted out of the movie. Like, it just fit. Yeah, I agree. What's interesting about it is that when you look at his bio on IMDb, it says Chili Scenes, Chili Scenes of Winter, music producer, musician, keyboards, and orchestrator, uncredited. Well, they weren't crediting as much for that sort of stuff back then. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of times when you see uncredited, especially on IMDb, it's, it's the, not somebody who's person, trying to keep their lives a secret. <laughs> no, it's that person saying, well, I also did this and I did this. And yeah. usually it's them coming in and, and, and putting it in. 
uh, after the fact, and it'll end up at listed mm-hmm. as uncredited because it wasn't officially credited at the time. All right. All right. right. Yeah. Anything else uh, hot on your list? Uh, you know, it's. Uh, I just felt like um, watching this. Yeah, I don't know. I John Hurd is one of those actors that I really started noticing and kind of. I, I guess you know he became a part of my life because of some movies that he had been in, starting with Big, which is going to be the next movie we're going to talk about, um, as kind of like Josh Baskin's competition at work. Uh, but then also stuff like um, Beaches and Home Alone, you know, like the and Radio Flyer, like those are the films that um, he like he was for me in my life growing up, and so. I always enjoyed his presence and but he was always kind of like this more of a supporting character as I grew up. And so I have been finding as I go back and I watch some of these earlier films of his where he is a lead. I'm like, gosh, well, I, I, I love this side of this actor. Um, like he's just he has this manic energy. And it's really interesting in this particular film, especially how he takes it to this line where he could almost become a stalker, but he's never quite crossing that line. Like he's dancing on the edge of that line, but I'm like, he's never really quite a stalker. Like he, like she, she's there to accept his, his, um, his energies, right? Like when, and that's, that's what like, I, I felt like if she really was pushing him away, like, I, I don't know if he would have continued, but she always was kind of accepting it. And so, I found it to be really interesting and and uh, and uh, just a really fascinating energy to watch on screen. So I I just I don't know I'm I'm delighting in some of these earlier performances of his. And we're not going to be talking about it in this series, but uh, you know a couple years later he does Cutter's Way, which is another film that you know I'm excited to watch because I hear just incredible things about his performance in that film. So um, yeah, he's definitely somebody to kind of like um, I don't know kind of look at a little more and see what else he's done. He's, I mean, he does like follow her around and, you know, runs into the tree in front of her house. And like, there's some, there's some stalking going on. I think there is some, there, but there's some but stalking again, that likely is unreciprocated when she's moved back in with her husband. I just, be, I mean, he's a, he's an kind of a harmless kind of gentleman stalker it, this isn't like i wrote you and i was like i am seeing way too many parallels to like like you push the needle just a little bit and you've got patrick bateman right like he is we're in his head he's got these or i, I could totally see the other things that are going on in his head being a little bit more uh, uh vile it's it, on screen it's a gentle kind of stalking, but he's definitely i think he's definitely there oh it's there i but it's it it never yeah and, and i guess i mean like he's it's not ever like I feel like he's not stalking like I don't know I guess there's a, a difference between being obsessed with someone and stalking them like yeah. you know he's he like okay. he is so uh, you know obsessively pining for her that he he'll drive by her house to just just in the hopes of like you know thinking about her again and like ah oh, that's where she is she's just so close like there's something about that that you know it's kind of sad really right he's like so obsessed that he just has to you know drive by her house but it's not I, I don't know i guess i didn't feel like it was turning into a stalker situation and maybe it's because right. like when we do see them together she always is like grabbing him again and, and they're hugging again and it's like they're they clearly have 
a romantic connection. Even oh, when she's yeah. even when she's mad at him for <laughs> absolutely making a, a you know a dumb decision to um, have themselves him and him and his buddy be invited over to their house as you know potential home buyers like stuff like that like you know that wasn't a good decision she has every right to be mad at you you're making terrible decisions in this particular moment and you know it's it, i don't know i but I, I found that's why i find him to be such an interesting yeah character yeah you know it's just like some such an interesting uh kind of thing to just kind of bite into i really enjoyed it and that's the thing that i think is interesting about this character is that he has all the complexity of these characters that take all of those angles very, very far, right? Like all of the, uh, I, I'll just say Bateman again, because it's that's who's in my head, but take it to the extreme. And this character doesn't. I mean, I, I'll go ahead and say it. I have driven past old girlfriends' houses when I was really, really into them. I did not sit and try to look in their windows at all, but I did drive by to casually think, huh, I wonder if they're going to be around and I could say hi. I'm not saying it was right. <laughs> I'm just saying I was a teenager and I did things, right? Yeah. And so that's, I mean, it it felt confused and at the same time authentic to me. It it felt like a, a real version of my history. Now, of course, in the movie, he's 30 years old. Almost. Almost 30, right? Almost 30. So Almost there's 30. that. He's going through that struggle of like, I'm about to be a grown up. Yeah, right. Right, right. That whole thing, yeah. Okay. All right. Should we read the credits? Oh, yeah. Um, well, we will be right back. But first, our credits. You're always shooting stars when we're together. Breaking hearts. The next reel is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Ziggy and Ben Sharkey. Oriel Novella and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Big awards movie. I mean, big, right? Critics, <laughs> darling. And therefore, it, this was on everyone's lips. Uh, you know, what's really interesting is this film... Um, because of the way the studio put it out into the world uh, with an ending that the director and producers didn't want under a title they didn't like and didn't put any money behind it, and it just bombed, uh, yeah, it didn't get any recognition. And I, I can't help but think that when the film did get re-released after the changes three years later, because it had already been released, like, would that immediately just negate any chances it would have had had it just been released that way three years earlier you know like that's interesting because yeah, like because yeah. a re-release you can't resubmit essentially right right so, yeah that's so yeah no no nothing it, it does make me wonder if this had been released as it was uh with the right studio backing in 1979 um would it have had more of a chance yeah, I wonder. I you know, I wonder especially because you know the critical response to the re-release headlines uh, like, you know, uh Chili Scenes has been rescued. It's luminous. Like people really liked the movie even though it felt like they, you know, they couldn't push for it. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, once it was re-released, so. How did it do at the box office, Andy? Did it actually, I mean, I, I'm, I worry that it didn't, it didn't do any good because of all the confusion about re-release and such, such and so. Well, I mean, we've talked about some of that, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll break it down a little more. So uh, Micklin Silver's producing team did get her a budget of $3 million to work with from United Artists, which is $10.6 million in today's dollars. As I said, the studio heads thought it was terrible and forced Micklin Silver and her team to add a happy ending where they get back together, as well as they retitled the film, as we said, to Head Over Heels with that silly, silly poster of John Hurd with the windshields on windshield, uh, windshield wipers glasses. on his glasses and just like the whole thing. <laughs> Oy. Uh, the film was released October 19th, 1979, opposite And Justice for All, Avalanche Express, French Postcards, Jesus, and Meteor. As we said, it did no business and completely died at the box office, which, you know, the studio heads, they, I don't know, I guess they got what they deserved. It didn't help them with their Heaven's Gate uh, debacle, but that's, uh, you know, it is what it is. Micklin Silver, though, she kept showing this to people and talking about it, and people genuinely liked it. Now, there was somebody, an executive, Claire Townsend at 20th Century Fox. When they first were developing this film, um, that's where they started before they moved to United Artists, and Claire liked the project. She ended up moving to United Artists, and um, <laughs> one of the things that she wanted to do is uh, get this film back out there. And so she kind of, you know, Joan Micklin Silver was talking about it, and now that uh, Claire Townsend had moved over to UA, she really helped kind of this whole thing happen and uh, and got it released under their United Artists Classics banner in 1982, reverting the title to its original, dropping the happy ending scene. And what do you know? The film ended up doing well. It earned $40 million at the domestic box office, or $141.2 million in today's dollars. Whew. That gives the film an adjusted profit per finished minute of $1.4 million. So in the end, there was a happy ending for this movie, but it did take a few years. That's awesome. I can picture Joan Micklin Silver running through the park. <laughs> hard. Like really, really, really running. Really hard. Yeah. 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 Really hard. I bet she did. Well done, Joan. All right. Well, Andy, I think this movie, I'm so glad we watched this movie. Uh, and I'm so glad I watched it when I did, because uh, I I did not feel uh, I, this would not have been a fair uh, conversation. I mean, it wouldn't have been weight of water bad. Uh, but it would not have been a fair conversation. We just need to start having you watch all your movies a few, like a week or so early then. I usually am okay about that. I Maybe usually... if you watch 20, uh, 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 2001. Yeah. No, that one's fine. We're fine. I'm not going to revisit that. But uh, I do think that uh, it, it has been made harder given that some of the movies we've checked lately that are not are harder to find uh i'm having a hard time so i'm watching them closer and closer to the time we're actually recording this one i feel like i, I did okay uh and i'm i'm excited to be back on the train there it it was a great experience i love it as a john hurd movie uh i told my mom i, I said mom we're doing a whole series on john hurd and she went like gushing like schoolgirl crazy gushing over john hurd oh. i had i had not realized uh just how much of a movie star people of my mom's age and generation think of him for when he was a young actor. I thought that was pretty cool because I'm with you. I always see him as just sort of he's he's a face. Kind of he's a, dad a, a or the other quality yeah, dad yeah. face. Yeah. Yep. Totally. But I can see that. Like you watch uh, this movie so. and you're like, 
Yeah, you know, he's kind of a handsome, oh, handsome guy. He's a handsome guy, right? If I were of a certain age watching this contemporaneously, uh, that might have been a good, a good go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be right back for our ratings. But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, Penny Marshall's 1988 film, Big. For Josh Baskin, life was a little unfair. Until he made a little wish. I wish I were big. Sweetheart, it's 7.30, are you up? Josh! 20th Century Fox presents... Tom Hanks. Big. I turned into a grown-up, Mom. I made this wish on a machine, and it turned me into a grown-up. Now what? get a job. Cannot get a job. I play with all of this stuff, and then I tell them what I think. Can they pay you for that? Suckers! Vice President, he's only been here a week. See that girl over there in the red? She'll wrap her legs around you so tight you'll be begging for mercy. Well, I'll stay away from her then. I loved your ideas on the squeezy doll line. Thanks. <laughs> What were you like when you were younger? Oh, well, that wasn't much different. Who are you? I'm his girlfriend. I want to spend the night with you. Do you mean sleep over? Yeah. Okay. But I get to be on top. What is so special about Baskin? He's a grown-up. How do I feel about what? How do you, how do you feel about me? You're only young once. This is important! I'm your best friend. What's more important than that, huh? But for Josh... I miss my family, Susan, and I want to go home. Oh, my God, you're married! It just might last a lifetime. You'll never forget Tom Hanks. It's Beluga. In Big. Are you are, are you going to watch the are you going to watch the director's cut of Big or the original cut? I didn't know there was a director's cut until recently. I didn't either. That there's like a half hour um, extra longer version. Really? Yeah. How long? Like how long is it? Like it's let me a half see, hour let longer. Me see what I have. Well, I get that, but how long is the original? So I know what I'm doing. Um, the version that I own is an hour and forty four minutes. That seems like probably not the director's cut. The longer the director's cut is two hours and 10 minutes. Yeah, I don't have that. Where would I find it? I wonder. I don't know. I just I just ordered the Blu-ray so that I could watch it because I only have a DVD that I got like, you know, 25 years ago. It's not like is it it's not like a fan cut, right? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's well, there it is. Big director's cut at Amazon. But you can't, yeah, I, I can't stream it. I have to buy it, it looks like. Big comparison. Here you go. The extended edition shows a more distinct development 
of certain characters. There are, for example, scenes of the younger Josh that give a better understanding about his wish to acquire adulthood faster. There are also scenes about the adult Josh wishing to become a kid again. Additionally, the development of Susan from being career-centered and having an affair with her workmate to becoming more attracted to Josh's naive and childish nature get a little clearer. Josh's friend's effort to change him back into a boy are shown more detailed. All in all, the extended edition is superior to the theatrical version. Wow. Wow. I have never... Dang. I regret that I know that exists now. Let me see if I can get it at my library. I just had no idea. This is so fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me, too, that you had no idea. Yeah, because, like, it's one of those movies, like, this is what happens sometimes. You own it, and so you just, it's it's no longer yeah. something you think about. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I have it on my shelf. But I've never had this kind of need to think about it again. Is this the extended edition? I think they do have it at my library. Excellent. Original movie, cut and extended cut. Hey. Uh, Andy, this is huge. This is great. This is good to know because I just, I, I have never seen it. So this will be a whole new thing for me. And this is a movie I already love. So really curious. We'll see if I, I hope I can get it in time. Oh, I see somebody here. This was four years ago. I don't know if it still holds true, but it says the extended cut is now included as a special feature on iTunes. <gasps> then I already have it. What? Well, you'll have to go check. Yeah. I'm checking right now. Extras. Andy, this is going to be huge. Extras. Extended cut. I have it already. <laughs> I didn't even know. Awesome. <laughs> there it That's is. That's awesome. Okay, shall we do the end of the show? Yeah, let's do the end of the show. All right, uh, Letterbox is here, Andy. Um, Letterbox called and said, hey, I wonder if you could pay attention to me right now. Mm. Of course it did. Letterbox uh, is so needy. How do you feel about your ratings? And I was just scrolling. I went over to the chat chat room again, I, I, uh, and there's, there's Brian, and he has already weighed in on his predictions of how we're going to vote with our uh, precious stars, our limited supply, lifetime supply of stars, how many of them will we be offering to Chili Scenes of Winter? Did you say it's it's a limited? Yes. Well, yeah. uh, maybe for you. Yep. I was given nope. the unlimited bucket. Nope, you weren't. You just don't know. They just didn't tell you how many. That's what. That's the problem. You won't know until you try to rate something five well, stars. No, I'm going to run out of stars when I'm old because <laughs> I give far too many things uh, five stars. I'm not giving this five stars, but I am giving it four and a half. I just, I, I can't, I, every time I think about this movie, like I, I find more love for it. Like it just really worked for me. And, uh, I just, I, I'm just very excited to see. And we didn't even talk about like the fact that, I mean, Jesus, Gloria Graham, like how great does she still yeah, look at this? She's just, God, she's she, just, she's great. So just ravishing. And oh, what a fun movie. So yeah. four and a half stars for me. Uh, big old heart. I just loved Chili Scenes of Winter. <laughs> Okay, this is one of those where I uh struggling because I came in this morning at four stars and a heart. I came in at four stars and I thought this is where I'm going to land at four stars and then we're going to talk about it. And unfortunately, uh, you have uh, this conversation has made me like it more, but I don't think I'm going to budge on four stars. I think I'm going to stick at four stars and a heart with because because I have nowhere to go and my limited supply of stars. Andy, what am I going to do if I run out of stars? And it's because Chili Scenes of Winter had an extra star. In 20 years, I'm going to run out of stars. 
And it's all because of this movie. So I just I want to have I want to give it room to improve. Probably because of of uh Nope. Um, stop talking. Nope, you're wrong. <laughs> Cherry Moon. I already took those stars away from 2001. <laughs> those were those were smartly budgeted. <laughs> oh dear. I'm going to stay. So I'm going to stick with four stars. Okay. So what did you think about Chilly Scenes of Winter? We want to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel on Discord in our community where we are going to be talking about this movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterboxd giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. I, I'm i going to give a big old shout out to uh, Brian Blake in the chat room who who actually suggested this review from Phoebe. It's a four and a half star review and, and I kind of love it. Um, Phoebe says, actually, I think my new answer to the age old question, what would you do if you woke up and you were a man? is watch Chilly Scenes of Winter 1979 because I am obsessed with how someone who isn't intrinsically aware of the way a woman acts around a man she isn't interested in would interpret this movie. To every guy who watched this and related to John Hurd's character, how's your love life? (laughs) And let me tell you why it's funny, because I'm actually crying inside because I said during this show I related to John Hurd's character. (laughs) <laughs> and it's really not once did we use the word consent in our conversation at all. And I can totally see how another perspective would seem like I am a sociopath. And I apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny. Well, I have a one. I have a um, sorry. I have a five star. Uh, it's, it's interesting comparison. With yours. Uh, this one says, Joan Micklin Silver. Oh, it's by Jay Winston, who says, Joan Micklin Silver writes men better than most men write men, let alone the way most men write women. I have to unravel that. Well, especially in context of yours. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go uh, write me right now. I don't know how to write anymore. She writes men well, is the thing. She knows men better than they know themselves. How about that? There. There you go. All right. I'll go with it. Thanks, Letterboxd. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show. 
by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.